Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel so you don't have to or so you have a reason to read what we're reading. I'm one of your hosts, Alexis. I'm Dallas. And I'm Anne. How is everyone doing? I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this book. Um, how are we? How are we feeling? Coughing. <laughs> Coughing a lot. Dallas just hacked up a lung silently over our video chat here. Loving. I'm feeling cozy. I'm feeling good. Um, enjoying my Kyle Star Wars game. Um, having a- I got Doug and Evan going to be jumping on Lethal Company with me this weekend. It's going to be dope. I'm going to see if I can convince them to let me stream it. <laughs> Amazing. Hell yeah. And Brian's got the whole gang together, the whole crew. Wow. All the video game nerds. All the video game nerds. (laughs) I am hyped to talk about this book that we're talking about today because it's a it's an oldie but a goodie to me. It's a newbie for me. Uh, but jokes on me, I've had it for five years apparently. Well, anyway. Um Without further ado, let me introduce our book. So this week we read Skyward by Joe Henderson, art and cover by Lee Garbett, um, colorist Antonio Fabella, and letterer Simon Boland. Um, I was really excited to discover that these actually have been under my bed for several years. Um, courtesy of my older brother when I said that we were doing this because I saw a picture at Comic-Con and then Dallas proceeded to tell me, you have that book, you have all of them. And that made my whole week. Reading them physical was a true gem. I always love when Dallas knows what books I have and I don't. (laughs) Yeah, it really goes to show that you look through that short box I got you frequently. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Especially because half the cardboard has been eaten by my dog. But... That that does seem like something that your gremlin of a dog would do. I love her, yeah. but she none she of the books are damaged, just the cardboard box. It's a true dog. No eyebrows or morals coming off that. No, dog. she is a vigilante at its finest, right there. No eyebrows or morals, but this is a book with no gravity. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's she also has no bones. Right, we are covering Sandra Bullock's movie. Gravity, the movie where <laughs> nothing happens but in space for two I never, hours. I never fucking watched that movie. Was it really that good? I don't think anybody did. It was terrible. There, oh, there funny. was a like an existential fear part though, where she gets like knocked off and she's just gonna float forever. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that makes me sick to my stomach. Oh boy, that makes little Dallas crawl up inside me in fear. No, thank you. Oh, no. Turn off the movie. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll but, do it. We do have moments like that in this. Little Dallas. Yeah, um, that's little Dallas right there. I mean, there we go. I set you perfectly up, Alexis. Tell the people yes. the premise of the book we're reading this week. Absolutely. Let me give you a little rundown. So, this book, imagine this you're going about your everyday Tuesday. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, your entire world is flipped upside down, quite literally and figuratively. Yes. There is very... <laughs> what? <laughs> um, oh, there are two of them. Pick one or the other. This is what happens when we 
camera privilege- privileges. <laughs> Nothing good. <laughs> um, no, but this book explores the concept of what would happen to our world if all of a sudden gravity just shifted, if it, we had less gravity and how life would change, how everyone's day-to-days would look and just really the it begs the question of how how would humanity evolve to this? Would we? Would we do well? What new challenges would this bring up? And it just, it was so fun. Honestly, we follow our main character, Willa, through her young life, um, kind of coming to terms with this new world, what she has always known as she was born right before gravity shifted. Um, and it's really awesome to see the different characters have different views on the situation because of course there were adults at the time when gravity changed and children. So it's very normal for the children to have no problem with the fact that they can soar through the skies like our classic superheroes. Um, and it just was so fun to have such a high stake story with the concept of returning gravity. That's the whole premise of this story is the concept of what would happen if this we've had 20 years to adjust to this way of life and all of a sudden we could change it right back. And I just it just is such an interesting thought process, such a fun execution with beautiful artwork and really awesome characters and you guys should check it out if you haven't. I mean, apparently it's an oldie but a goodie, but new to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's a good one. Everybody should check it out. Yes. <laughs> so the reason Alexis has this under her bed is because I picked this bad boy up as it was coming out. This is a series from Image Comics. The... Writer, if you don't know this, is the showrunner on Netflix's adaptation of Lucifer. So someone who is comic book adjacent, making their debut in the comic book world with a veteran artist, Lee Garbett. I love this pairing. There's so much imagination in this book. And I honestly think all the big ideas that Joe Bennett wanted to bring to the comic book world Lee Garbett does in spades. The artwork of this series is absolutely what holds it down as a classic of creator-owned comics from the late 2010s. It happened during a really interesting time in creator-owned comics where you have the initial early 2010s boom of like Saga and Rick Remender's books, and Ed Brubaker starts Criminal, um, Greg Rucka starts Lazarus. Basically, all the big two guys at that point, they see the success of Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead and Invincible, and they go, why don't we just go get rich? And so they all leave superheroes for five years and just go make some of the most creatively interesting comics ever. And then the market kind of dies down a little bit, and there are just a few gems that exist in the next five years. And I think Skyward is absolutely one of those. It is so quintessentially image comics. But I think it gets overlooked a little bit because it's 
not quite the same generation as Saga that is also pre-Daniel Warren Johnson that has brought attention back to Image Comics. Yeah, I think that was a very astute perspective. Thank you, Dallas. I yes, yes, I think thank you. I thank you. Oh my god. I can't yes. I can't compliment shit around here because people just get the biggest heads. I swear to God. Dallas was born with a big head. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Literally. Literally. Biggest head. Oh my god. But anyways, I picked up this book for the first I picked up volume one. And I read volume one probably during one of Comicsology's Rest in Peace, you know. Just moment of silence. One of Comixology's big sales. <laughs> Should it really rest in uh, peace, though? Because I kind of hated that app. <gasps> hey, look, it's the I devil said. you know versus the devil you don't. And it's Kindle true. is the it's devil true. I didn't. Um, it's better than it used to be. Anyways, I picked up the, vol- the first volume and I remember reading through it. I'm like, wow, that was really fun. And then I did not continue. Just because, you know, I picked up the first volume on sale and I just had so much on my plate at the time. So I never came back to it. This is my first time coming back to finish the series. And yeah, I have some I have some I have some thoughts on it. It's it's a solid, solid book. I had fun with it. And yeah, it's it's as fun as I remember it being. This I don't want to get too deep into it, but Mm -hmm. this might be a comics collective first for Dallas where a revisit has made him like something less than he initially did. But we'll get into that more. I want to hear about Alexis, our go-to first-time reader. Okay. Talk to us about Skyward. Yeah. um, I initially, I was really excited to read this. I thought that it was a super fun idea. I mean, it just is like a thought-provoking story you know like what like really i had there was some times that i sat with this i was like what would happen if gravity just disappeared i know that i for a solid fact would be one of the first people to die because i have no complex thinking skills on a quick reaction time i would just float all the way up there and i'd be like well son of a bitch i didn't grab anything in time well looks like i'm gonna go be friends with space um But no, I was really excited to read this. And through the first volume, I was really intrigued. I was having a good time. Um, And then I kind of, the farther I got, the less I liked it, if that was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I would still say like, if I were to give this a score out of 10, I would say it's a probably a 6.5 or 7. Like I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. it. I thought it was fun. I probably wouldn't read it again. I thought towards the end a little bit, it got pretty predictable, which I didn't anticipate. Um, But I really, I loved the characters. I loved the concept of the bug bug villains. That was genius. That was fun. The people that ride butterflies that want to take over civilization. That's hilarious. Sorry. Anna's having a concert in her living, in her kitchen. I mean, her kitchen, her bedroom. I love it. Thought but, I put my phone on silent. I did not. That's my bad. <laughs> That's a okay. But no, it just really great idea. I think very decent execution, but it just fizzled out a little at the end for me. I felt like the I have been spoiled by the science fiction series, The Expanse. 
that takes its approach to sci-fi very seriously. It's a very hard sci-fi book. And a really major portion of that book is about what society out in the asteroid belt looks like. And granted, that is about generations worth of people that have lived in and in zero gravity. So their actual physiology has changed. But I just found that like the amount of gravity we had seemed to change in this book a lot you know like it was zero gravity and then it was kind of like lunar gravity when we needed to get across the planes and that like it felt very marvel comics by stan lee sci-fi and i think just coming off of talking with ryan north about the joys of science fiction reading the expanse that just love science fiction i was much harder on the science of this science fiction this time around from like, it could have been, it's an interesting premise. I just, sometimes I feel like you chickened out. Sometimes I feel like you took the easy comic book way instead of actually figuring out what's going on here. And that, that made me enjoy it a little bit less Mm -hmm. because honestly, I think this is a book that is built off of premise. Like the characters are nice, but I don't know that any of them are going to make my Mount Rushmore of, fictional characters and so if your premise if your story is simple a go there and back we've all seen mad max fury road um and your characters are pretty simple like your premise which is kick butt needs to be executed at an 11 and Mm -hmm. i just sometimes i felt like especially like the middle arc and towards the end like alexis said i think this had an incredibly strong first arc and then the two subsequent arcs were a lot weaker, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I it's it's interesting because it's I read um the the copy I had had an um an intro by Kelly Thompson, and Kelly Thompson talks about how this is uh you know such a kick-ass concept, a kick-ass um idea that like it's one of those that writers look at themselves and after they hear it and they kick themselves like, damn, I should have had that one first. And it's, it's, it's wonderful, but I think it, it's at a place where I feel like we didn't do enough with it, but also at the same time, I felt like they did too much with it. Like the first arc introduces this very interesting world. And what I really, really wanted for like the second and third arcs was to kind of expand that and see more of it. And you kind of do, but not in the ways you'd expect. And it makes for some conflicting tones, I think. Because the first the first arc makes it very clear, like this is a world that's kind of progressed to the point where they're used to this. There's definitely ideas floating about about how things have changed, but it's a realistic change. Like it's only been twenty years. You can understand things haven't completely readjusted yet. Like we haven't figured out how to completely redo architecture yet. A lot of things are still very similar, but there's a lot of fun concepts, like the fact that the office spaces have been completely redesign the fact that people at the lower levels are now the upper class people at the upper levels are now the lower class um and it's interesting but i feel like by the time we get to the second arc and you introduce the idea of giant force where giant bug riders exist you jump very quickly into a different realm that you have to ask your suspension of disbelief to follow you to 
And I feel like we don't get enough of what that first arc kind of set up. I, I wish we had more world building in that way. I wanted to see how other cities had adjusted, how other um, countries had adjusted. Like we get that in the epilogue. We see a little bit of it. We get a really interesting look at the ocean, which, you know, raises a lot of ecological questions on its own. Because I was also reading this book from a very scientific perspective. And it's, I wish that we had focused on different things because I think the characters and their, their journey, very, very simple. We should have spent more time building the world, I think, because it's such a fun world. And it, it's one of those comics I don't regret re- reading, 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 because I think it's just spectacular. And I wish more comics took chances like this, but it left me wishing that it had been just a little bit braver because I think it played it a little too safe. And I mean, I'm also not going to complain at Lee Garbett's giant bugs, even if no, the, they were very cool. Even if the science seems iffy, oh, I'll they, break down the science for it later. The giant bugs were great. The big buff guy that rode them, Tamlin, if Lucas. you will, was no, great. Lucas is no. Butterfly Cassian, and nobody can tell me anything else. When he saved them for the first time, I was like, oh, Butterfly Cassian is evil. Oh no! No, he's Tamlin. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the moment he showed up and I saw that square jaw, I'm like, oh, this is a bad guy. He's going to be a bad guy. <laughs> villain. Is that why I'm such a villain? Because I'm such a square jawed, red blooded American? Oh. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lucas looks like he was part of the um, FFA, yeah. and I mean that offensively. I it, it was a very very exciting part of world building but I felt like you had two different levels going on I feel like one yeah. arc one was world building after 20 years arc two felt like world building after like generations because mm-hmm. I could imagine like an you know an earth that has to get used to lower gravity what life evolves to be like I love speculative biology so much mm-hmm. and it's stuff like that that really really is like it it piques my interest so so much but it's just putting the two together it's it's a combination that didn't click. It was like um, peanut butter and oranges. It's like, I love both those things separately, but I don't think they belong together. Yeah, I agree. I Maybe I was just stupider the first time I read it. Like, I don't remember it bothering me as much as it did this time around. What year I, did this come out? I think like... 2018, I think. 2018. Oh, well, so I was in college. Dallas. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's anything to do with being stupider. I think just every time you come to a book, you bring new expectations based on what your life experience is at that point. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely didn't have a very critical eye for it when I read it the first time either. But hey, I'm on a a comics podcast now. It's my job to bring a critical eye to things. And so I think I I pick up on things I wouldn't normally. And yeah, I don't... (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I'm harping a lot on like the things I didn't vibe with in this comic. I think there's a lot in here that's really great. I think Willa is a a wonderful and energetic, charismatic protagonist. And what's her boyfriend's name? Because I loved him too. Edison, exactly. the light bulb. Edison. <laughs> yes, I proved Dallas's point, but that's besides that. <laughs> I actually, I, I want to talk about the strength of volume one because I think the drama with the dad is really interesting. Yes, Ugh. that like he won't go out into the gravity. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. The actual horror of mm-hmm. day one when everyone started to float into the sky was wonderful. He lost his wife. The rainstorm was wonderful. Ooh. Like so much of volume one was incredibly strong. 
because it was exploring 20 years worth of sci-fi. And then, and you hit it right on the head when you said it felt like they leapt forward a really long ways for what we did in volumes two and three, instead of keeping our 20 years ahead or if you wanted to go hundreds of years ahead, like, okay, let's do that. Let's have people have big, long, stretched out bodies. Let's like, yeah, get weird with it. Get re- either get weird or stay like grounded, gritty sci-fi. And I think volume one did had the perfect balance of believability to its science fiction. And it's, a, it, I think it's a real shame because I don't think that it goes far enough in exploring all the possibilities that there are for a society with low gravity. Like I expect the thing I kept thinking about is like, if I was in this world, I would be like a fucking misborn and I would keep a bunch of coins in my pocket. Yes. So that if I ever went too high, I would just chuck coins the other direction and have that momentum carry me backwards. You're a genius. You gotta, yes. you, you gotta genius. get into physics when you're talking about it. I expected, you know, cables reaching every which way. Cause it's like, you tell me people are just jumping from building to building. You could have zero G um, guidelines there's, I feel like there's so much more that they could have done with the story without having to resort to the big red button that just says big bugs on it. Yeah. Listen, we all understand the big bug button. Who among <laughs> us? It's a tempting button. That's why it's big and red and it says big you buns. You mean to tell me mosquitoes can shish kebab people? Of Listen, course that's, that's an so, option. So fucking. There's a horror movie that I saw on the sci-fi channel when I was younger called Mosquito that's literally just that and it terrified yeah. the shit out of me. It's terrifying. It, it makes my skin crawl. This, that's they basically giant... do that. They yeah. stab us over and over they, and over. They again. actually saw into your skin. If you lick that's their terrifying. mandibles really close, they just they, they do like this that's to terrifying. get under your skin. Uh, there's this other horror movie called the trench scene from King Kong 2005, where the characters <laughs> fall in and are attacked by giant bugs. Um, that shit scared. That shit scared Terrifying. the piss out of me. When the worms ate that guy in half, I <laughs> will never forget that. And so I understand wanting to introduce that into your gravity book, but I think I found the urban setting much more interesting. I also found like the density of characters more interesting in the first half Mm -hmm. instead Mm -hmm. of when we just got like onto a train with all of our main characters and kind of like stalled out their arc Mm -hmm. until the end like we're gonna push pause on all the momentum to go out here and introduce the kelsey brothers like we went to kansas city and travis kelsey's out there on a butterfly and hey now (laughs) no he's right he's right (laughs) He's he's out of line, but he's right. Yeah, I did love that it went to Kansas City, though. I mean, shout out, shout out, second home, KC. <laughs> Always love. I, I love seeing it. my stupid places. And do you love when something's from Ohio? Are you listen? Like, Black yeah. Black Alice being from Dayton means she will always be my girl at DC Comics. She <laughs> is my character. No one can take her from me. She's gonna be a Suicide Squad book next year, written by Nicole Maines. It's gonna be fucking awesome. It's like literally God said, "Here's an Anne comic." Here's the trans character, the trans writer, and a Dayton girl. Have that. Have that on Hell us. Hell yeah. Love that. You can never bring up the things that are associated with Utah. Thank you. I don't want them. Invincible? <laughs> oh, Damn. I'll take that one. I was going to say the Mormons, but you know. Word. 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 I, I don't think they're in the comic book universe. What? Mm-hmm. That's actually, That's actually. That's not true. Actually, <laughs> you. That is one of my favorite favorite 
bits in speaking of the expanse <laughs> one of the best sci-fis of all time there is a generation boat where they build like this enormous starship out in the asteroid belt that a bunch of people are going to load onto and they're going to shoot out to go and try and find a new solar system and these sci-fi writers because they take it seriously and this is the kind of stuff i'm talking about they're like all right Who's going to do that? They're like, a politician is not going to do that because it costs too much money and takes too long to warrant re-election. A corporation is not going to do that because it doesn't have guaranteed profit. They're like, And so they were really bumping into this thing where they're like, we need this as part of our story. And they said, and then they read about the Salt Lake City City Creek Center where the Mormon church spent $2 billion just to make Salt Lake City a more pleasant place to be because it was their church headquarters. And they Mm -hmm. said the Mormons would do it. And then they started to think, and they were like, the Mormons already have a history of leaving out far away from everyone else to go and live their life. Mm -hmm. They have enormous funds. The Mormons would do it. So it's the USS Nauvoo. And the Mormons are the ones that build this enormous ship that becomes a, a really important in the story. And I love it. I love it. I was like, you're so right. They are the only people that would do that. Mormons would build a giant ship to run away God. to go worship Jesus and the stars. That's exactly what they would do. I love The Expanse. Read The Expanse, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Don't read Scott Word. Read The Expanse. Do yourself a favor and just skip this and go to that. This is a good book. It is. It is. What did you think? What do you think of Lee Garbett's art, Lex? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, that's something that I actually can talk about very positively for a long time. I think his creator, I mean, his creation of the characters is so fun. The way that he draws Willa's hair moving in the gravity is one of my favorite things of all time. That is so fun. And I feel like it perfectly matches the movement, if that makes sense. Like, I totally know exactly what's going on in all of these panels. Like, I... There are so many panels of when she's like, jumping off of shit like look at this one when she's like jumping off of shit and going Mm -hmm. high speed down the side of this building it's beautiful and i just it's very fun and i love the art style i don't know if i have the right word for it i don't want to call it scratchy but like their more angular lines Mm -hmm. i really like that of the characters and yeah, no, I know exactly who's on the page, regardless of what's going on. I just, it's just very, very fun. It's a nice mix of realistic, but also very emotive and express expressive. Yes. And it I also, think it, it serves a world like this very well. Go ahead, Dallas. Well, it also, to your point, it serves a world like this very well. It sells motion so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When... Mm-hmm. When our characters take punches, we can feel the momentum of that punch. And therefore, it makes sense when they start to coast away. Like, if your story is built on momentum and movement and how that can become scary, 
you need an artist who can sell that movement. And Leah Garbett absolutely sells all the movement. It's, I don't think I've ever seen like ragdolling done better in a comic book. Every single pose is perfect. Nothing ever like takes her out. It's like that doesn't feel like what they'd be doing. It, it everything feels accurate. I also want to say, with this being a debut comic, it's a really strong debut comic. Oh yeah, hell like, yeah! Like the it's not overwritten. It knows how to use the comic book form. The page turns on this are phenomenal. I think about the page turn to zero gravity and the page turn to the rainstorm both in volume one. Oh my god those yeah. are all timer page turns where there's just this understanding of how to build pacing and build expectation that like i really i have so many positive things to say about volume one of this book when when the dad decides to let go and send willa back down i didn't know how they were going to get out of that one i and i'd read the book like i forgot what they did and i was like oh man how are you going to get out of this one? And it was heartbreaking that the dad finally able to overcome his fear is able to toss Willow back to earth, sending himself out to deep space. Mm -hmm. Oh, also the ring around earth of all the things that floated away. That was so cool. That was great. There's terrible. There are moments of greatness in this book Mm -hmm. that just make me wish that the same amount of world building was applied to the second two volumes as was the first. Because the first truly felt like there had been 20 years of no gravity Mm -hmm. and every new bit of information was fascinating. Oh, yeah. The the scene where they're teaching students how to safely have sex. That doesn't. Yeah, that that doesn't. (laughs) Like just standing there at the door like, oh, okay, interesting. Damn, even zero gravity, everyone's just like, missionary is the only way to do this. Um, any <laughs> other way and you will die. The end. Take me out, chief. All done. <laughs> I don't want to go on. Oh, it's... It was, it was... I'm trying to think of another... I love the colors in this book. Because every time there's like, you know, a horizon, a sky... Anytime the picture is large, the frame, the framing is huge and the perspective, you know, as big as the world, it's stunning. It takes your breath away. It gives you the same impression you'd have if you were actually there flying above everything. I think that was, I think the coloring is absolutely wonderful in this book. I agree. I am curious, and you said that you had Anne Science Corner for us. Yes, you have Anne Science Corner. I love Anne Science Corner. So, because um, it's a very interesting concept, and I'm like, okay, this is fun. I don't don't know why I got the impression that gravity had just completely vanished, and they're just like, okay, well, it's kind of here. Because they're, I just checked again from like the very moment it disappears, it's like, ooh, low gravity. I'm like, how did I think that all of it disappeared? I also thought all of it disappeared. Oh, no, you're right. I absolutely also thought that as well. Because how the the F would everybody get into space? Yeah, like the big everyone floats away to their death, like that's zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that they formed a ring would imply that there's still a low gravitational field, but not enough for someone to reach Mm. escape velocity. Yeah, I mm, I also, no. I started to be like, how are we keeping our, like, how does the gravity stop? Like, did we mm-hmm. stop the earth spinning? How are we keeping our atmosphere? Like, 
that's that's how we're gonna that's the fun part of the science queen we'll get into but i think a lot of skyward really depend it really showcases you were talking about the expanse if you compare this to the expanse you get a really good case of hard versus soft world building where the expanse has hard world building it relies on realistic science everything about the world is planned out it's like i know what this is i know how these governments work i know the history i know the the factions, I know everything about my world going into it. I'm going to build a story around that. Whereas soft world building is going into the world with an idea and just kind of doing it along the way. Um, Stephen King is really good at this. Um, Terry Pratchett is really good at this. And sometimes it really works for the story because it's, it's easy. It's like if you need something, you can invent it in the moment to make the story work. You make the world for the story. It's like that scene in um, Wallace and Gromit where they're on the train and Wallace has to keep putting down the, the track in front of the train to make sure there's somewhere <laughs> for him to go. That's soft world building. And that's exactly how Stephen King writes novels. <laughs> Except with Mambo number, Mambo number five playing in the background, right? <laughs> I need that scene edit. But going into the science corner, I looked up what would happen if gravity actually turned off. And if gravity turned off, the first thing that would be important is the force keeping you down on the Earth would vanish. And so suddenly you have the Earth, which is spinning at about 16 hundred kilometers per hour and also moving through space and when you combine those things with a lack of seatbelt imagine you're on like one of those amusement yeah, just whirly rides and then the seatbelt vanishes you're gonna go leave this alone yeah yeah you would yeah. be flying also you know pretend for a second you you don't go flying let's just ignore that completely what would happen is you would immediately feel this <laughs> abrupt and shocking pain of your eardrums bursting as all of the atmosphere above you left the planet just goodbye gone all the oxygen all the air gone into space because there is nothing left to keep it here everything that is above us is kept there by gravity the atmosphere would be gone with how quickly that would happen i got conflicting reports on that but basically just imagine really really serious decompression and if you know what that can do it might, if you come out of it with just a ruptured eardrum, you got off really lucky because results could vary from an exploding eardrum to every cell in our body literally rupturing, which is fun. Um, the effects would also be much more extreme at the equators, where at the equators, like there's more than one, at the equator where the planet is moving the fastest. If you're at the poles, you probably wouldn't notice as much. If you're like standing right on the pole, you might be a little okay until the planet starts leaving you behind. Um, also, fun fact, dispersion of oxygen means that concrete loses a binding factor. And so all our concrete buildings would eventually start to crumble into dust. But that's, you know, we won't have to worry about it because it'd all be dead. And also Earth's crust and all the tectonic plates are held together by gravity. So if gravity vanishes... Earth probably wouldn't crumble immediately, but you'd start to see increased volcanic activity as the mantle and the crust is no longer actually held onto anything. And so it just kind of starts shifting and falling apart. The Earth would eventually decompose like a soggy cookie in milk. Damn. Yeah. Me too. That's how my mental health is doing. So um, <laughs> if you want to know how important gravity is, um, very. 
It's very important. Um, it's also why this book requires a very big suspension of disbelief. Speaking of which, I also looked into bugs because um, Dallas knows I love me, my Carboniferous period. And I know for a fact that the limiting factor on how big bugs can get is not gravity, but actually the oxygen content in the air. And um, yeah, we, we know that if there is more oxygen in the air, that bugs could get substantially bigger because we have a fossil record of it. During the Carboniferous period, oxygen content in the air was at about 35%, whereas it's about 20% today. And that 15% increase doesn't feel like a lot, but it enabled millipedes to grow to the size of crocodiles and dragonflies to the size of falcons. So if we were to take that increase and imagine you know, you probably have to add on another 20 to 30% oxygen content to get an atmosphere capable of supporting dragonflies that could carry people. But then, even at that point, the air of the, the, the atmosphere of the Earth would be so oxygen rich that we would probably all explode. Because the moment a single spark sparks, everything's lighting up on fire. That's it. Gonzo, we're done. So, you know, it's a give or take. Bugs don't process oxygen the same way we do. They absorb it directly through spiracles in their skin that takes it directly to the muscles. So their circulatory system is very inefficient compared to of vertebrates. So yeah, those are your, your science facts for the day. Gravity, crazy. Also research that would suggest that gravity leads to differences in temperatures and climates. And if we had lower gravity, it's very likely that um, we would have a smaller rate of condensation and probably decreased global temperatures, we would probably freeze to death very, very quickly. Fun, fun science facts to make you realize that we got very, 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 very lucky. Goldilocks zone, baby. Perfect planet, perfect place. Right time, too. I hate Hell all of yeah. that information, but Do I, I appreciate. I hate all of that information, but yeah. I really appreciate you telling me that. <laughs> it's not going away. It's not like no. Gravity. There, there's no G day. Yeah. True. Listen, I. I, I think I am all for soft world building and fantasy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not a very soft sci-fi guy. Like, because you guys are smart. I want Eat me in my average intelligence. Well, had quite I, a good time. <laughs> I I think it makes sense because sci-fi, at its core, takes its its roots from the real world. It takes its yeah. cues from from science. It's in the name, and fantasy doesn't. That's why Star Wars is not a sci-fi. It's a, a space fantasy. But we don't need to talk about that right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I've think never sci-fi... felt closer to you. I've never <laughs> felt closer to you. True friendship, right there. people. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think sci-fi usually asks something a little different because you come into it with different expectations. Well, and I also think at the heart of sci- what I want out of sci-fi is an exploration of current systems through an exaggerated lens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I love The Expanse because... Not because it has super realistic depictions of what generations of zero gravity would do to the human body, but because it explores the tension between the working class and the bourgeoisie class, where we say, let's move the entire working class out to the asteroid belt so they can provide all the natural resources that we need to keep running 
Earth, and Mars, and let's literally make them physiologically different over the course of 500 years to the point where they truly cannot fathom why, other than like cultural connection, they want to be a part of the system that takes advantage of them. Like That is fascinating. People don't remember Blade Runner because it has kick-ass robots that mostly look like humans. They remember Blade Runner because it asks the question, what does it mean to be human? If every other indicator demonstrates that you are a person, what is the difference between a person and a replicant? And so Skyward, I I think where it is the strongest, again, is volume one, when we talk about the people who want to bury their head in the sand and wear gravity shoes and not acknowledge that the climate around them is changing, right? The wealthy class mm-hmm. wants to keep on rolling the exact way they always have, and they're willing to keep the world broken in order to keep making a buck. That is great. I don't think there is as much being said. I think there's plenty to say about farmers and how the, the coast and the cities take advantage of the heartland while looking down on them. Like that's absolutely something worth exploring, something I'm passionate about coming from the heartland. But that is not what this book wants to do. This book wants to make the farmers, they want to like the jump scare big bugs. And then they just want a deus ex machina bad guy to chase us back to the city where we just get to put like the final bow on our problem that we already explored more interestingly in the first portion. And so like I, I lose what I want out of sci-fi here. And I think that's why Volume one was so strong. Couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> Dallas that's, is just so smart and so pretty. That's wow. why they pay me the big bucks, baby. <sighs> that's that's probably true. Should we do our listener questions? Yes. Yeah. I can go first. Please do. But before we do that. Patreon, everybody. (laughs) In case you didn't know, we now have a Patreon, which we will play an ad for after this. But before that ad, for our $8 patron, Alexis has a recommendation and a shout out. Lex, can you shout out that $8 patron and give them their comic book rack? Absolutely. It is Max, correct? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Max, shout out to you. First of all, thank you so much for being a patron for us. Um, I actually planned for this to be your shout out before I decided that I wanted it to be on our show next month because as we are going into the month of love, I thought that I would suggest to you Heartstopper by Alice Oseman. It is a webtoon comic and i know that i've kind of talked about that a few times on the show how much i love those comics um this is one that got very similar treatment to laura olympus it now has physical copies that are sold all over i mean i saw every single volume in target the other day and i was like look at these babies look at them in the wild they're in the big target i love it And I feel like it's just the perfect 
heartwarming story for your month of February. And coincidentally, we also will be reading it for the show next month. So get a head start and you can read along with us. Heck yeah. Thanks, Max. You the best. And we'll now play our Patreon ad. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Patreon of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm one of your hosts, Alexis. I'm Dels. And I'm Anne. And we are here to talk with you today about our all-new Patreon starting in January 2024. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. And listen, honestly, I'm going to level with all of you out there. I really need a reason to just hang in there with these two a little bit longer. So if you could please find it in your hearts to give us just a little bit extra every month, I would really, really appreciate it so, so much. I can't speak for them, but I personally would really, really appreciate it. Honestly, at this point, we either need a large sum of money or a large secret to keep us together. And I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility with a secret. Also... Also, please, please, everyone, find it in the goodness of your heart to finally aid in these two teaching me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. They've been leading me on for a long ass time. And hey, we've got lots of fun perks that we're going to roll out. I mean, this year, our goal, we want to keep things nice and clean. We want to keep our episodes to a predictable amount of time so everyone knows what they're expecting from an episode of the Comics Collective. But we don't want to feel like we have to cut out all of our shenanigans. So we found a place where we're going to stick it all. Please join us on our Patreon for all the shenanigans, all the fun. Please join us. (laughs) Where we stick it all. The Patreon. God damn it, it, Dallas. But first, see, you missed this. You missed this silly, goofy time. The tears for the Patreon are first and foremost at the $2 tier, early access to an ad-free version of the show. As soon as it's done editing, it's dropping on the Patreon. You don't have to wait till Wednesday mornings anymore. For $5 a month, you get early access of that ad-free show, and you also get a weekly extended after the credits chit-chat with Anne, Lexi, and Dallas. A closer to two-hour version of the show where we laugh, we joke, and we give you everything that of the classic comic books collective prior to Dallas's new tightened schedule regime at the $8 a month tier, you will get a one-time specialized shout out on the show and a live comic book recommendation in the show after you sign up. And for the exceptionally adventurous and affluent patrons of the comics collective we have the option for a 50 dollars a month tier where you will be added to a list of potential candidates for a dungeons and dragons one-shot adventure with the comics collective after one month at the 50 dollars tier your name will be added to the list once the list has hit four individuals we will run that two to three hour one shot where i will dm lexi and ann We'll play major characters, and you and your friends, or perhaps you and some strangers, will get to hang out with us on a Discord call for an afternoon. So, if any of those sound interesting to you, please go to patreon.com slash thecomicscollective and sign up now. All right, everybody. 
Thank you so much for listening to that ad. Or if you're on the ad-free version, thanks so much for nothing. Just yeah, kidding. Holding your breath there for <laughs> yeah, five think, seconds. Oh, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, Our first. Oh, no. I hope they come is back. It, is this the ad-free one? <laughs> I hope so. I paid money. The first question, as always, comes from one of our favorite people in the world, Glenn Machette, who writes in, Dear Sky Guys, Gals, and Non-Binary Pals, if you could... Which of us is non-binary? There's three here. (laughs) Someone's got some splaining to do. Among us. (laughs) One of us is an monster. (laughs) One of us is in a literal plaza right now. That's true. We won't point but, fingers. But then that makes new new questions because then who's the guy? <laughs> we just keeps we gotta keep swapping <laughs> sticky little circle that we're in here. <laughs> if you could fly and didn't have to stop, rest, etc., where's the first place you'd go? Mm. And Glenn also clarifies, yes, he knows planes exist. <laughs> but I understand your question, Glenn. The spirit of your question. That is a very fun question, Glenn. Um, shoot, it's, it's really close. So I'd probably go to New York and go to the top of the Empire State Building. Just be like, holy shit, I did it. I did the superhero thing. And then I'd probably go to the tropics and some pretty islands. Mm -hmm. See, I had a follow up question for Glenn. Do we have the same rules with water as this book? Because if yes, then that changes my answer because I also would go to some pretty island with the ocean, but not if it's a giant carnivorous orb of water. That might change my opinion. It just no, says, he, if he you just has us. Just we're we're flying Superman Perfect. style. Definitely somewhere with sand and a nice warm ocean. I'm going to Paris, baby. Of course I'm going to Paris. Are you kidding me? Come on, I'm Ernest Hemingway. I never thought I would lap Alexis in Paris interest, but here we are. I'm I going to Paris. Have a very irrational fear of getting scammed in Paris now because of TikTok. So I thought you were going to say because Dallas got his phone taken. Yeah, I got well, my phone too. stolen in Paris. Dallas is the exact <laughs> prime example of that. Never touches the ground, still loses his phone. How the hell did that happen? You would be so surprised, especially when I was like, do you want to get the insurance on your phone with our phone plan? He goes, nah. Yeah. Listen, I still love you, Paris. Shout out for stealing my phone. Um, I think it's a great city. I would like to live there at some point. If it didn't break my family's heart, I I think there's a very real possibility that I could live in Paris at some point. But that's neither here nor there. I would go visit that in a heartbeat. I'd travel over the world. I love to travel. I have a huge travel bug right now. I would go all over Asia. I haven't traveled through Asia at all. I'd love to see China. I'd love to go to Vietnam. I'd love to go to India. I'm on a huge Russia kick right now. I'd absolutely hit St. Petersburg and Moscow. Like, that'd be dope. Yeah, I just... There's a lot of places. I am itching. Itching. And Alexis needs to know and feel bad about the fact that I am giving her my PTO this year when I planned to go to Switzerland. Ooh. And then... Then, then she I decided to finally decided to be married. married. And so now I'm using my PTO for that instead of going to Northern Europe and ex- throwing my arms out and singing the sound of music. The hills were going to be alive with the sound of my music well, until your wedding. Well, um, you can just come with me and Carson on our trip we have planned in 2025. The hills. In Switzerland. 
Alive with the sound of music. Switzerland. If you got any Swiss listeners, you're missing out on all of this. Mm-hmm. Lex, do you want to read Trevor's question? Of course I do. All right. It says, I'm so happy you're finally doing Skyward for the podcast. I've been, it's been one of my favorite books since I met Joe and Lee at Paris Comic Con. <gasps> When 2019, when they were promoting the book and I wanted Lee's signature on some Batgirl 2009 issues. I have three questions for all y'all. Number one, in your opinion, what is the most gorgeous part of the book? I'm torn between the storm bubble and the dragonflies in the forest. Those are good. Number two, besides gravity, what would be the most terrifying big natural constant to suddenly go wonky? Gravity, weather, or something else? Number three, the only thing left is when, when you're is when you're all doing shade craft, question mark. Y'all do great work. I love popping you guys in when I'm doing some repetitive manual labor. Keep up the great work. Love, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. What did we think is the most gorgeous part of the book, other than the storm bubble or the dragonflies? Because those are also the correct answers. Those were great. I love when Willa and Edison finally kissed. I thought that was a wonderful splash. That was so good. Very that cute. was good. I liked when the dad was working out and there were sweat bubbles all over the house and one got in <laughs> Willa's mouth. I thought that was really nice. That was very funny. I'm, thank you for your serious answer, Dallas. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have so many questions about how they go to the bathroom, but that's neither here nor there. At the sky. They Just told us. Down. Do they? Yeah, Willa in the book was like... The, there's a rich person that's like, I heard that up at the top, they just aim it at the sky. And it's like, oh, animals. And then Willa's like, where else would you aim it? <laughs> that's another, <laughs> listen, that's one of my only complaints about volume one. I don't think within 20 years, all the culture would go away. You know what I mean? Like, no. you would know, there would be things that were different, but in the same way that like, AJ, our brother, he's vaguely aware of things from the early 2000s. You know what I mean? Like, Uh technology doesn't just die. Culture doesn't just die and get replaced. That was, like, one of my only... Not one of my only. That was one of my beefs with this book. When they they saw the sign that had the people walking, it's like, I wonder what that means. It's like... Yeah, I was like, people walked. You know what that means. Your parents walked. But then again, Alexis once asked... Why they hey. called it rolling up windows Hey, when the button just slides it right up. And that was my first time as a the wee old age of like seven being like, holy shit. Okay. Got Dad out. had that moment at 24. He was like, Christ. Oh my gosh. Lexi, what's your, did you say your beautiful scene already? There was there was a scene specifically in the first volume. I can't remember which issue of when she jumps and like hurdles herself off the side of the building and it's like sunset and it has all the pretty colors and movement. I can't remember exactly where it is, but there's a lot of really pretty things in here. The cover game in this series oh, is so strong. Strong. The covers are all gorgeous. Strunk. Strong. Garbet, you're famous. Always. Um, what other than gravity would be the most terrifying thing to just change one day? 
what if lightning just decided that it would strike everything? It just would pick things out and be like, <laughs> and get you. <laughs> like, you're just like walking down the street. That's terrifying. Thinking, thinking about an Everstorm, are you? <gasps> yes. Oh, Lord. That would be so scary. I didn't need that extra thought. <laughs> it was in um, my subconscious and you brought it back. <laughs> I I think the most terrifying thing you could do is stop the rotation of the earth. Yeah, that'd be no good. So we'd all splat yeah. inside of buildings. <laughs> no, I even if it wasn't like a sudden, like think about it like a, a gradual slowdown until the earth just stops rotating and then one side is ever towards ever towards the sun and one side is ever towards the dark. And that way you leave only really a habitable ring around that new meridian where day meets night. You could only live in dusk or dawn. Because mm. eventually the temperatures on the sun-facing side would probably get too hot. The temperatures on the night-facing side would get too cold. And so theoretically, only in that sliver of dusk would people be able to settle. And that, folks, is Alaska. <laughs> I think it'd be really hard for me specifically if the patriarchy went away. I've been doing really well. Oh, um, that, that's okay, very Ken. true. How do you feel about your Ken nomination? Yeah, I, I am Ken enough. <laughs> Ryan Gosling getting nominated and Greta and Margot that was doing nothing vile. is so funny. It's I was like, so... they heard the points in the movie and took them the wrong way. They said, fuck you. Do you know Ryan is at home? Ryan Gosling's at home just like, what yes. the fuck do I do? No, no, he's got to be like. <laughs> he's like, ah, fuck. I like, hope I don't the... win. Exactly. Like his best case scenario is that he doesn't win. He made a because... statement. Oh, did what he, did he say? He's not going to he, accept it if he wins? No, he's like, I'm honored to be nominated, but hey, you this film wouldn't exist without Margot and Greta. So, like, I feel like it's a great disservice to them not to even mention them. But he's like, but thanks for the nomination. Damn. The, the yeah. thing that makes me, like, itch beyond all belief is that the movie got nominated as a whole, but then they didn't nominate Greta as the d- director. Because she did the movie. Like, what? It's it's so weird the way they do that. I, I don't I don't get it. We got to keep moving because Dallas got to get out of here. Violent. Oh, yes. So the second part of the question. I can't look the, at it on my iPad. <laughs> the Thoid. The Thoid part is the only thing left is when are we all doing Shadecraft? So Shadecraft oh. is mm-hmm. from the same creative team. It's about a girl who finds out that her family has the ability to make their shadows come alive and do things for them. Ooh. And so she's got like a shadow sidekick mm-hmm. that helps her do ninja stuff. And it's pretty cool. Pretty good book. I, I love Shadecraft. I'm very excited to revisit it at some point. I feel like from everything that I've talked about here, everything we've critiqued with this book, I feel like Shadecraft takes those lessons and moves forward with them. I think it's a much better book for this team. Yeah. It's a much softer little like fantasy thing. Yeah. Like the tone that they want to play with, it's already doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Skyward like presents itself like it's going to be hard sci-fi and then becomes very soft. Yeah. Comic book sci-fi. Okay. Final question from AJ Larson. Hi, Comics Collective. My question is about the ending of the series. I was expecting him to fix gravity like the book was teasing, and instead it ended on the idea of survival and perseverance. Do you think the message of Skyward would have been helped to hurt by the gravity being fixed and the world going back to normal? I thought the ending worked with Willa's journey. Love the podcast, Marcus. I think that's a wonderful question. What do we think? 
I wish they would have fixed gravity and then had to deal with the consequences. I think I, that could have been interesting. If the book kept going and if the book had really dove hard into the hard world building, I would have loved like another arc afterwards of them trying to rebuild after gravity came back. Yeah. I thought that could be yeah. fun. But since it doesn't, I'm perfectly okay with gravity just existing the way it does. Cause I loved the epilogue of them journeying across the earth and seeing how everything has changed. I thought that was, I thought that was lovely. And I love that they're like, Hey, we don't need to fix this. We just need to fix the people in it. And yeah, interest, interesting themes. I'm not sure if they were all executed perfectly, but I was fine with gravity not being fixed. Humans are the disease, man. (laughs) We're the virus, dude. I thought it was fine. I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly. I don't know. I I I think I liked that it didn't get fixed, you know? Like the first time I read the series, that genuinely came as a shock to me that it didn't get fixed. Mm-hmm. Um it didn't this time. Even though I didn't remember that that is how it ended this time. I was like, yeah, it's not going to get fixed. How do you fix that? Like, I was so much more hung up on the science this time. I was like, (laughs) hey, how did this happen? But B, like, there's no fucking way. Like, how are you going to bring back gravity with science? No, you're not. It's like, how are we going to? We never get an explanation for why it stops in the first place. So if there's no explanation for the why, then there'd be no explanation for how to get it back. And the series never introduces anything. So I never expected it to. But I kind of like the message that sometimes life is going to throw things at you that you can't change. You just have to learn to adapt with it and grow with it. Also, I'm glad that she didn't send her boyfriend with no legs to the ground. Yeah. That was that was an interesting bit from from volume two. I will give volume two this. That was an interesting conflict for him to be like. I'm actually doing great yeah. with Don't no gravity. So uh, why on mm-hmm. earth you turn it back? Because that would suck for me personally. Yeah. I wish that he hadn't like figured out so quickly that he's like, actually, no. Put me in the dirt, please. Like, I kind of <laughs> wish that he would have stuck to his guns a little bit. But I also understand having no fortitude or backbone when a baddie's involved. Like, game recognizes game, frankly. <sighs> I love that. Me too. Lexi, fun book. I loved reading this. Yeah. I think we had a great conversation. I thought about it was it. fun. I yeah, I feel like even if it wasn't one of our ten out of ten, I think we still had a great conversation. So Yeah. No, I think the thing is we don't need every book we read to be a ten out of ten because it's the, the talking about it is the important part. And mm-hmm. I think every book is a learning experience. And I learned a lot from Skyward. So I agree. And it also, I feel like it makes the 10s out of 10 seem more believable. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to be the reviewer who gives everything a million stars, you know? Yeah. If everything's great, nothing is. If every book is super, none of them are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Lexi, do you want to go ahead and read us off? Absolutely. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. And we will read it off on the show. 
And please feel free to send us any comments or questions anytime to thecomicscollective at gmail.com and we might just read them on the show. Who knows? Send us fun things. Ask us how our day was. Yeah, come on. It doesn't always have to be about the book. You just ask us a silly little guy question about us. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Um, Yeah, and we will see you guys next week when we cover Ponder World by Linda Sage. You can also read that on Webtoon for free if you'd like. Just so everybody knows. And if you are an extended cut patron, make sure to stay after the music for your additional 19 minutes and 29 seconds. Woohoo! Bye. Bye. Bye, y'all.